Welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our hot takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll look at two ethics stories from the US and South Korea, and two stories of problematic AI. After firing AI ethics researcher Timna Gebru, Google has been investigating recent actions by her colleague Margaret Mitchell, who helps lead the company's ethical AI team. As Bloomberg and Axios report, a source claims Mitchell used automated scripts to look through messages for examples of discriminatory treatment of Gebru. Google confirmed that Mitchell's email account was locked and that they were investigating her sharing of files with people outside the company. The recently formed Alphabet Workers Union expressed concern about the suspension, calling the move an attack on attempts to instill ethics into Google's work and questioning Google's commitment to ethics. Next up, another chatbot goes horribly wrong. South Korean startup Scatterlab launched an open domain conversational AI chatbot named Lee Luda in December 2020. As The Diplomat reports, Luda was integrated into Facebook Messenger and users were encouraged to interact with her daily. Scatterlab trained Luda using data from Science of Love, its app that provides dating advice based on analysis of text exchanges. Its personalization element also allowed users to train the chatbot. And of course, the problems ensued. Luda came under the national spotlight for spewing hate speech against women, sexual minorities, foreigners, and disabled people. Users also complained that Scatterlab was mishandling their data because they didn't know their private conversations were being used to train a chatbot. Users of the Science of Love app are preparing for a lawsuit against Scatterlab, and the Korea AI Ethics Association released a statement on January 11th calling for the immediate suspension of the service. Luda and the concerns it raises about technology's social impact and the governance of new technologies has demonstrated to South Korea that AI ethics is relevant in the here and now. In the most recent episode of Ethnography and AI, last week Tokyo-based company DeepScore marketed its facial and voice recognition app as capable of determining a person's trustworthiness. But how does it do that? As Vice reports, the app has someone seeking alone, for example, look into their phone camera and answer a series of questions, such as how they intend to use the money. DeepScore then analyzes their face movements and voice, and delivers a verdict to the lender. DeepScore aims to revolutionize credit scoring, particularly in emerging markets, where giants like FICO struggle to operate because many residents don't have detailed documentation of their debt, spending, or identity. And of course, researchers expressed concerns. Almost Toe of Human Rights Watch stated that there is no reliable science to indicate that people's facial expressions or vocal inflections can serve as proxies for their internal mental and emotional states. While there has been some research linking particular facial expressions to dishonesty, another researcher pointed out that the app is likely to discriminate against those with tics, anxiety, or who are neuroatypical. 
And finally, in October 2019, Idaho solicited public feedback for a proposal to change its Medicaid program. 1,000 comments arrived, but as Wired reports, half were not from people. Max Weiss, a medical student, generated fake comments to submit using OpenAI's GPT-2, and a study found that people could not distinguish the real comments from the fake ones. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has added new safeguards to the public comment system in response to Weiss's study, but declines to give specifics. Weiss's project points out a serious issue. AI language models have become more powerful in the past few years, making human speech venues vulnerable to manipulation without our knowledge. While tools exist to identify AI-generated text, it's not clear if anyone is using these tools to protect online commenting platforms. At the same time, it's also uncertain whether AI tools are being used to generate fake content. As politically driven misinformation has become a key issue in American politics and in politics globally, it's important that we mitigate the impact that AI has on the problem. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. One is myself, Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization in neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as to medicine. And with me is my co-host... Hi there, I am Andrei Kurnkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning sort of things in my research. And uh, this is kind of exciting because this last week in AI corresponds to the 100th edition of our Ooh. last week in AI newsletter. Yeah, we've uh, been running this newsletter for almost two years uh, or something like that. And uh, not the 100th episode of the podcast, but uh, we, we get our articles from the newsletter. So uh, a bit of a milestone. And, you know, we have a fun article on Skynet today uh, doing some analysis of trends and what gets the most coverage. Uh, unsurprisingly, facial recognition, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, uh, turns out to be the biggest topic as far as we found. So... Uh, you can check it out or stick around, listen to us discussing some of the news stories from last week. Cool. So our first article is titled Chatbot Gone Awry Starts Conversations About AI Ethics in South Korea. And so this is the Luda AI chatbot, which uh, basically started saying some spicy things uh, and is very similar to Microsoft's Tay from back in the day. Uh, basically, this chatbot has uh, has has gone a little bit haywire and is again sparking controversy about how we regulate AI and how we uh, might want to constrain these chatbots. Yeah, this is kind of surprising uh, as we'll get into later. And there's another story related to this, like that someone tried this. Uh, you know, they they said. Uh, the team that developed it said that the aim was to develop the first AI in the history of humanity to connect with a human, uh, which was, 
you know, already a lofty goal and perhaps useful and in our COVID times, but they did it by simulating a, a 163 centimeter tall 20 year old female college student. Uh, very specific and, uh, you know, uh, it seemed inevitable that whatever approach we took, there would be some problems. And we've seen this before with Microsoft Stay, as we were discussing before, that once you set something out loose in the wild, especially if it's learning from conversations, you can pretty easily manipulate it to be doing bad things. And that's what happened here. Uh, screen grabs of interactions, Ruda showed that uh, it made very, very problematic comments about classes of people like lesbians and black people. Uh, and seemingly this was, it's hard to say if it was just the AI being weird or if it's because of all my communities directly manipulating it or what, but uh, I don't think it was too surprising an outcome. And so... I don't know, maybe one day we'll see uh, one of these apps that is strained from data actually work and not have problems like this. But uh, personally, I can't see this coming as too much of a surprise. And I'm, I'm surprised this was attempted. And the article notes that it was pulled down just 20 days after being released. So it didn't take long for things to uh, go wrong. Similar to Tay, I would have to say. <laughs> um, and specifically, it was trained on over 10 billion Korean language data sets. Uh, and uh, I think apparently certain communities could also help train Luda. And that became a huge issue since some of these communities uh, definitely provoked Luda or started to shape the data sets in a way that that would encourage Luda to spew hate speech, for example, against minorities uh, and women. And so I think uh, there's also a bit of that going on, which is an extra layer on top of it, that people want to actively somehow hack or troll uh, an AI bot like this. Um, just a lot of these structures are very fragile, and it definitely makes me think of the Reddit Wall Street bets <laughs> situation that happened this week as well, where, you know, communities of people can come together and cause something and affect something, troll something and uh, drastically change other, other, it, how the behavior of certain other groups will perform. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely another sign of, oh, guess what? This is not Tay anymore. This is an approved Tay, but it's still a bad idea. <laughs> Exactly, and uh, this is why, you know, from what I understand, when people develop chatbots, so this is like an open domain chatbot where you're supposed to just be able to chat with it. And when people try and do this sort of thing, for instance, for Alexa, there's a competition to develop a chatbot. Usually, they're not fully end-to-end. -end. There is some component of learning that is in there, but there's also kind of rule-based, more classical approaches where the bot is constrained to not say just anything, to especially avoid sensitive topics, and to instead chat about, you know, movies or the weather or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's, it's another sign that maybe deep learning or end-to-end -end learning isn't the route for everything, 
there's still a lot of room for thinking and being careful with how you engineer AI systems and with, uh, yeah, not being fully data-driven, it seems. Right. Absolutely. And this, I mean, this, I think one shocking thing is also in South Korea, uh, the maximum penalty for leaking personal information um, when it comes to poor data handling, which could very much be the case with a chatbot like this, uh, is about $18,000 and $18,250, sorry. Um, but basically, that's awful. And, or two years of prison. And I, I just don't think that is sufficient to deter people uh, from doing something like this. And so that's quite concerning as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Another issue that happened here was uh, with data that they released, they uploaded a training model to it on GitHub and uh, it actually leaked personal information from the data, which is another you know issue. So that this would presumably violate this law or be in potential violation. So I think we've seen a lot of cases where, you know, as we've been in the deep learning era, data has been king. You know, the more data you have, the better. But the more and more we're seeing that data isn't so easy. You know, it's easy to bake in biases. It's easy to uh, have not enough of certain classes, not enough of, um, you know, uh, equity or or different problems. This privacy is another one. So, as we head into a future, hopefully, we understand how to do and handle data better. And some of these things, like privacy and bias, become sort of second nature to people who work with data and deep learning. But certainly, we're not there yet, and it's it's going to be a learning process for the entire community. And things like this at least serve as lessons that remind us that we need to think about these things and, uh, you know, guide how we do things in the future. Absolutely. Though on a similar note of ethics, our second article is titled Google Sidelines Second Artificial Intelligence Researcher. And this is in Bloomberg. So, alas, uh, there was the news on Timnit Gebru, who was fired, and now Google is uh, kind of looking into her colleague on the ethical AI unit, uh, Margaret Mitchell, and uh, stopped her, I think, prevented her from, uh, or locked her out of the corporate system to look at her email because uh, she... she claims to have looked through her email with a script because uh, she was looking for, you know, additional evidence for, you know, firing Timnit. She didn't really think that there there was. And then um, all of a sudden her corp access was locked. And that is unfortunate as this story continues to unfold. Uh, I'm sure Google is on the one hand trying to obviously minimize PR on the other failing to do so (laughs) still I don't know what they're trying to do I think they're trying to prevent they claim to be preventing uh internal documents from leaking or something like that internal communications yeah it's it's this is a little more nuanced at least in a Timnit case where it emerged kind of uh, you can have your own opinion but uh, it seemed 
pretty clear that Google was in the wrong, uh, especially the paper in question was just released, I think also last week uh, or recently. And uh, it, you know, the Google claimed when firing Kim Giroux or uh, the whole problem arose because they wanted to stop the publication of this paper that had, you know, uh, criticisms of the technology and uh, their claims were that it wasn't fair enough, it didn't cite enough relevant work, but the paper itself cites a ton of literature and uh, so it's it's hard to buy into that narrative. Here at least they're saying that uh, the security system automatically replied, uh, responded to seeing that uh, there was some sort of sensitive data being uh, looked at. So it, I, I can buy that perhaps this was an automatic trigger after there was this uh, effort to do a script to look for emails. Um, I guess we'll have to see how this develops, right? Because certainly if they take the same route as with Timnit and fire her, that would be pretty crazy that they're, both of their leads of the ethical AI team are forced out, you know, very close to each other. Uh, it really makes it hard to at least take the leadership of Google uh, seriously with respect to ethical AI, given both of these people are very much respected for their work in ethical AI. So hopefully this has a happy or happier conclusion. I don't know, but uh, certainly you know, something to be a little bit worried about and another problematic incident of Google. Right, definitely. I don't know. I wonder, have you seen much of Margaret Mitchell's work, uh, Sharon? I've seen a few of her papers. Uh, they are good and she is highly respected in the research community. Um, so I... Yeah, this is, I mean, Timnit is too, it's just like very overwhelming that uh, Google is doing all of this. Um, and it's kind of sad, actually, because I was chatting with uh, a pretty good student and he basically asked me, you know, or he didn't even ask, he basically just stated, you know, going to Google is like going to Facebook now. It's going like going to FAIR now. People will judge you subconsciously even for going there. Um, and I've had other like senior AI people say that to me too. And it's just, wow, like that is the perception of Google now. And it's, they've really, uh, I don't know, kind of tanked in, in terms of the, within the AI community's eye. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how the general public looks at it or whether that really impacts their perception. It, it very well might, but um, the AI community is definitely just a little bit, I think, shaken. Uh, and it's definitely less respectable to be working there. Yeah, and this is all pretty concerning uh, because Google is up there as far as doing the most AI research. If you look at where papers yes. come from, right? It's usually Google is probably even in the number one spot as far as papers published at major conferences. So it's it's quite jarring that they 
took this course with the ethical AI team. And uh, yeah, you can, I think you can say, okay, well, it only makes sense that they didn't allow emails to leak out uh, through Margaret Mitchell and they didn't do anything beyond locking her out so far. So, you know, people are reacting. But I think it's just another reminder of the whole Timnit Jabru episode and how, you know, it's, yeah, how bad that whole thing was. And I think for many people it was, you know, pretty, uh, I wouldn't like almost traumatizing or certainly emotionally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 So I think for people working in AI, the perception of Google has changed and uh, it's going to take some time or, or it's going to take a lot of effort to recover as far as I can tell. Right. And so I thought of a positive spin on this. If, Mar uh, if, if Margaret Mitchell has to leave, whether she is fired or the word resignated people are using, I think it would be really cool if she and Timnit started something. <laughs> so if either of you are listening, you should go and start something together. Uh, I think that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, if there's anything we learn from this is that, you know, uh, doing ethical AI work from one of these giant companies that has financial uh, interests and not, you know, having criticism of a technology is maybe not so easy. <laughs> so if if Timnit uh, begins an external entity, of which we are some that uh, work on AI ethics, as you said, if Margaret Mitchell switches over, that would certainly probably be exciting and, uh, you know, a happier ending to this whole episode where at least we get more, you know, unfettered work on ethics and AI from some of the people who have done the most significant work on it so far in, in the past decade. Definitely. And so moving on to our third article, which is still kind of a disappointing article, honestly, uh, it's titled, This App Claims It Can Detect Trustworthiness, quote unquote. It can't. <laughs> Very spicy title by Vice. So there's an app that is called DeepScore or made by DeepScore, and that's a Tokyo-based company. And they claim to use facial recognition and voice recognition to essentially classify you or detect whether you are trustworthy or not. And obviously, this has certain issues and it's primarily being used uh, by money lending or health insurance industries. And so, as you can imagine, this would your score here on trustworthiness will affect how much money you're being lent or uh, your health insurance costs. And so basically how much you're you're paying. And this is primarily used in Japan as it's Tokyo-based, but also Indonesia, Vietnam, and the Philippines. And I think a lot of people are concerned about this app because, you know, the AI is probably picking up also on various other ticks, or if you're just slightly 
out of distribution, they're, it's definitely going to classify you as bad, like very likely, uh, as opposed to being the mean or something like that. And their accuracy, I think, is very low at 70%, which uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that is so low. There's just nothing respectable about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so again, as a chatbot, it, it's kind of surprising that we're even seeing this happen, that uh, an entity, a startup thought, hey, this would be a good idea. Let's develop an app that uses these signals to try and give a trustworthiness score for some people. I mean, it's, it's almost obvious, uh, like... You can give it the benefit of a doubt, but in this day and age, you must believe that this is some pseudoscience of uh, what they say is micro movement and stress or something. But light detection is is not something that works reliably. If it did, we would, uh, you know, be using it in police work and so on, and the technology doesn't exist uh, that really does it properly. And here with just voice and audio, you're going to get a lot of false positives and a lot of false negatives and so on. Um, so it's it's very surprising, even if insurers or, or other uh, clients only use it as part of their decision-making process, that anyone really relies on this at all as opposed to maybe more reliable techniques uh yeah so it's i am I'm, I'm a bit surprised <laughs> i suppose it's, it's even not disappointing at this point just because this is pretty ridiculous it's almost as ridiculous as prior cases we've seen of where was that uh, pseudo startup trying to predict gender from uh, natural language, which was another case where it was just obviously a bad idea. And here, I don't know if you think so, Sharon, but uh, I can see very few ways in which this wouldn't be bad. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I wonder if there is also, I almost want there to be some error in translation, maybe it wasn't trustworthiness or something. Um, so, yeah. It yeah, here there's a slide from their uh, presentation, interestingly, that's confidential, but I guess Vice got it. And it uh, shows the, the whole process is there's like a short video interview and you're directed to answer some questions uh, rel related to money or, or something else. And the slide says that they have a whole structure for AI based face slash voice fraud detection. And, uh, they do some image analysis. They do some emotion analysis, uh, from looking at your face, which is itself problematic because emotion analysis from facial expressions is, uh, not all that reliable. They do emotional analysis from the voice and supposedly they measure your stress uh, from those signals and calculate this fraud uh, metric. So uh, <laughs> certainly if it works well, that's almost as concerning as if it doesn't work well, if there's a way to detect uh, lying from 
just uh, video input and then your voice input uh, that can go some dystopian directions, but uh, perhaps luckily for us or perhaps unsurprisingly, it doesn't seem like it works well and uh, doesn't seem like a good idea as far as I can tell. Right. But on a happier note, our last article is AI could make healthcare fair by helping us believe what patients say in technology review. And so this is a new study on how deep learning models are actually trained on how people feel pain, uh, self-reported pain. So how you feel pain, how I feel pain. uh, And apparently across self-reported pain, doctors believe one population more than another. So typically doctors will believe white men more than their reported pain, more than um, anyone who is black, according to this article. And I, I also have seen articles about how that's also the case for women. Um, doctors don't really believe women's level uh, levels of pain that much either when they're self-reported. Uh, and so, and so it's unfortunate that that is the case. So doctors are clearly biased, but maybe we can use AI uh, that is trained on self-reported levels of pain, removing, you know, confounding variables. The study says they removed and looking for uh, radiographic markers that could indicate more objectively what this patient's level of pain is. And I think that's a really, really both noble cause. And also this article, uh, this paper found that they were able to do that uh, so that there would the AI would be essentially less biased than the average human doctor. And this was published in Nature Medicine. Yeah, it's a it's, as you said, fortunately, finally a positive story as opposed to the last few, which are not so fun to discuss. Uh, what uh, just to build on what you said, uh, the neat thing here is um, this has to do with x-rays of knees. And basically, the idea was to try and see if you could look at the x-ray and uh, predict self-reported pain and see if, you know, uh, you could trust the self-reported pain of patients by analyzing the x-ray and seeing, you know, do these two things correlate? And uh, in that sense, this title says... uh, by helping us believe what patients say, that means that you could use the x-ray and see that the self-reported pain seems to be in line with the model. And this is uh, as opposed to what the current methodology is, which uh, deals with uh, a different way of estimating uh, patients' pain. There's this colgren lorentz grade uh, based on the different features uh, but this is done by doctors, and it uh, is pretty outdated, perhaps. It was developed se- several ed- decades ago with white British populations, and uh, yeah, it, it might not be sufficient. And the study seems to say that this KLG rubric isn't great and that we could do better. And uh, yeah, this is something I would say that's pretty cool that um, 
the study in nature medicine shows perhaps a possibility of a new way of doing things. So they're not even trying to commercialize this or, or shift things. This is just science that suggests that there might be a better way of doing things. And maybe it'll be incorporated, maybe not, but certainly it shows that there is potential. And uh, maybe this is kind of a way to treat all of AI. You should be a little more careful before uh, starting a startup and commercializing things. You really want to take your time to uh, be careful in your analysis and the way you set up your model. And uh, yeah, maybe follow a bit more of what this approach was of you know doing a proper study that uh, appears to point in a positive direction and it will take more time to get there. Uh, so that's kind of my thoughts on, on this. I, I'm curious, Sharon, actually, I'm not too aware of uh, your own work in AI and medicine. So maybe now you can yeah, inform uh, me and our listeners. What sort of things have you worked on and uh, yeah, what, what you took away from working on the intersection of AI and medicine. Yeah, with my cool students, I'm currently looking into how generative models could be useful for medicine, specifically on biased data sets or small data sets in particular. So if we can generate synthetic data to help with data imbalance issues or biased issues in, in the data sets that we have uh, or have access to in medicine, and also think about, you know, the privacy implications of releasing this data and uh, how we could, instead of releasing real data, maybe release synthetic data that it, that doesn't leak privacy necessarily. Uh, that would not get us that $18,000 fine from South Korea. Uh, I really think that fine should be much larger. Uh, I've also looked into predicting mortality uh, which from electronic medical records, EMRs, which is not necessarily a medical imaging task, which is now what I, I've been looking at a bit more. I've also been looking into detecting uh, this cancerous bacteria uh, that, that essentially leads to stomach cancer and is one of the most prevalent uh, infections in the world, bacterial infections in the world. And yeah, so all, all sorts of things, and I am learning a ton. I'm no by no means an expert in medicine, but I get to learn, I think, deeply about one very specific thing, and maybe not that deep even, but it's very interesting to collaborate with, with doctors, uh, and I hope that there's more work in this space. Definitely, and uh, yeah, hearing about all that, I was actually thinking about this earlier today of, what applications of AI are actually exciting. And we've discussed this chatbot and this app to detect trustworthiness. And these are, let's say, not the sort of things that as AI researchers, we would like our work to go to necessarily, or at least they seem a little uh, flimsy as far as actually providing usefulness and actually improving you know, the world and helping people. But uh, the intersection of AI and medicine is somewhere where you really can expect, hopefully, AI to make a significant positive impact of helping doctors uh, do their job, being more efficient, being more accurate, uh, and, and addressing 
even small or, or very niche or specific issues like this one of predicting pain. Um, yeah, there, there just seems to be uh, so many uh, cases in, a, in medicine where AI could help. And you just listed a few of, of things that I, as someone not in medicine, would have no idea about. And that just shows kind of the range of possibilities and, and the depth uh, of um, things to explore. So, yeah, hopefully in the future we'll have more of these sorts of things to discuss where AI is actually being used in a positive sense as opposed to more stories of facial recognition or, or bias or the sorts of things that we also see a lot of. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. We really do appreciate the feedback. Be sure to tune in next week.